Welcome to our podcast series from the Global Critical Philosophy of Religion Project. This project aims to rethink the philosophy of religion from the ground up, with an entirely new set of categories and questions. As you may imagine, this is no small task. The interview series on teaching is created by Nathan Lowen. The interviews are supported by a grant from the Wabash Center. All of the podcasts you find here on the Global Critical Philosophy of Religion are hosted by Study Religion, a production of the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Alabama. How might philosophy of religion be taught and studied in the 21st century? Nathan Eric Dickman is an assistant professor of philosophy at the University of the Ozarks. You can find his CV, publications, and videos at ozarks.academia.edu forward slash Nathan Dickman. Professor Dickman was a part of a pilot project teaching philosophy of religion with a global critical approach. The pilot was supported by a Wabash Center grant administered by Gary and Kopf of Luther College. Our conversation on November 22, 2021, focused on how Professor Dickman structures a cross-cultural introduction to the philosophy of religion. Well, it's great to have you here for a conversation about your um, teaching practices in the philosophy of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what are the challenges of your teaching situation? I, I, to my understanding, the University of Ozarks is a small liberal arts college. Yeah. Um, you teach in a department of philosophy and religious studies. So walk us through the nature of that teaching situation. Yeah, so um, the program is a philosophy program, but the course, Philosophy of Religion, is cross-listed both for philosophy and for religious studies. And so for me, the issue is trying to create a philosophy of religion class, but at the same time, this may be the only class as a general elective, this may be the only class that a student takes where they get exposed to religious traditions other than Christianity. So my goal is to find a way to deliver a relatively introductory, relatively introductory level course at the same time as getting them exposed to multiple uh, religious cultures, traditions, and methodologies and all these sorts of things. So for me, that's the situation. It's not a Buddhist philosophy course. It is a philosophy of religion where we can look at religions. Wow. So this is like you've carved out a really specific niche that you need to fill um, a whole bunch of things into uh, multiple traditions. Um, you're examining multiple methods, multiple methods, um, several different themes, so that students can tie in and branch out and potentially have this as their only, um, you know, experience, as you just said. So, as you're doing that, um, what do you try to build in there? What what kinds of things are scaffolded into this tight little space of your course? Um, yeah, I want to uh, meet Sh- Kevin Shilbrack's challenge about or to institutionalize philosophy of religion courses and textbooks in his kind of criticism of them that they're narrow, intellectualistic, and insular. So how can I make sure that my course is broad in the sense of covering multiple religious traditions not intellectualistic, that is exploring other dimensions of religious uh, life that's not merely belief and doctrine, 
And then uh, how can I make sure that it's not insular? That is, how can I make sure that it's in sufficient conversation with religious studies and the interdisciplinarity of religious studies, uh, taking into consideration things like feminism, post-colonialism, these sorts of things. Um, so when I scaffold the course, I want to make sure that there may be some of that in every unit uh, and the lessons themselves can display a systematic organization while at the same time maintaining kind of an open-endedness. And so I think with everyone who teaches a global critical philosophy of religion class, you're, you're again, talking about something that is working really hard to address a series of specific challenges related to critiques of a field. And you also, you know, want to engage students, but at the same time, students aren't, you know, um, unaware. They're, they are critical receptors of our teaching and how they are learning. And so they want to see a path, right? They want to know that they're going somewhere. Mm -hmm. They don't want to be just going all over the place. And you said things like post-colonial and feminist mm -hmm. and and not intellectualistic, but at the same time academic. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. how do you thread that needle? What's the framework that you use? Yeah, I don't want it to, uh, it, I don't want them to experience the course as just a survey. Uh, and, and so I want it to make sense to have kind of a spinal cord to it. And the framework that I use is Kant's analysis of the three ideas of pure reason or the illusions of dialectical reason, the self, the world, and the divine or God. And I use these to create the units of the course. And it's not just uh, those three, it's also the unconditioned itself that refracts into these three components. The unconditioned being this kind of ultimate answer to the question why like the the toddler that can't stop asking why well because of this because of this at a certain point there's going to be the ultimate and so just to jump in um for you then if i get this right uh, philosophy of religion class does involve asking questions about ultimacy or absolute and that this is this is part of that framework yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's part of the framework because, I mean, even students will come in who are somewhat religious and they'll they'll appeal to things like, you know, God is beyond human understanding, right? Like human limits on their concepts, like can't really grasp like God or God's plan or things like this. So they already have that, the the rhetoric or the jargon of God being beyond human limits right and so it's just saying well let's start there since you're kind of using that right and so i know we're trying to get to you talking about the parts of your framework but i'll just jump in because right. you said you know the students come to class with this already do you is there a way that you actually survey and find out what is the prior knowledge or the baggage that they're coming with is there are there media examples do you get them to pull out things from their lives then then you say well, this is transcendental. This is ultimate. This is theological. And and get them to recognize that, that this is what's going on in the kind of language that they're already using? Uh, I, I don't get that explicit in terms of labeling things as transcendental. In fact, throughout the whole class, I might not use the word transcendental at all. Uh -huh. I do use the word transcendent or transcendence, uh, but I don't use the word transcendental because that's such a complicated 
term in Kantian philosophy right. in the first place. Uh, as But I do a prior knowledge assessment quiz or whatever on the very first day where I just say, what do you think religion is? What do you think philosophy is? What is the point of doing philosophy about religion? What are we even doing? Right. To see what some of their assumptions are. Right. And often, you know, they might say confessionally religious things or they might say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and so like that that gets to it. So like um, the framework that we still haven't gotten to you telling us what it is, but I think folks who have read Immanuel Kant might have an idea. Exactly. But like, you don't talk about that thing. So there's, there mm-hmm. are the things the students talk about, but then there's the thing you're using to organize how you talk to the students mm-hmm. about the things they're talking about. Or Yeah, no, they, we do not. I don't think we, uh, at this point, I do not have students read Kant at all in this class. In this class, I, I don't, I don't think I mentioned Kant at all or the transcendental dialectic or these three right. ideas of pure reason and anything like that. Uh, yeah, it's definitely for me for organizing the course content where it provides a systematic structure that is simultaneously flexible for any kind of material that I want to bring in. You know, with the time that we have left, maybe you could just describe what's what are the outcomes? What what do you see happening with the students or in another sense, you know, what are the payoffs um, to this framework and the contents that you've you know sort of glossed over in our conversation? Well, for me, I think it's this open-ended, so payoff for instructors versus payoff for students. Payoff for instructors, I think this framework is something that anybody can make use of to maintain like a standardization across philosophy of religion specific courses. Um, and, And like I said, this is not a Buddhist philosophy course, right? This is a distinctively titled philosophy of religions class, right? So how do you maintain like a systematic structure that is flexible enough for, for any instructor to be able to go, well, I'm going to use these readings or these movies or these materials for this unit on the self in different religious traditions uh, or, or different cultural uh, traditions. Um or I'm going to use these readings, right? So any instructor can create their own dynamic class while at the same time maintaining this consistency of organization. Um, The payoff for the students, I think, is it addresses their, the the, uh, criteria that I had to begin with, like how do I make sure that students get exposed to multiple religious traditions instead of maintaining this kind of theistic centered model of philosophy of religion. Right. So, you know, I I want them to have read and understand Nagarjuna to some degree, right? Of course, they're not going to be experts by the end of the class, but to have some in-depth analysis of it to think about, well, what is the nature of the world or the universe in this kind of religious paradigm? Uh, what is the and this is quite different than Camus saying that the world is absurd, right? And this is quite different than a kind of uh, a Muslim worldview where it's kind of thinking that it's the stage for God's ultimate plan for human connection with God. Um, so being able to see different uh, worldviews like that through kind of this shared topic of 
we're not looking at their beliefs about divine beings or whether they exist. We're not looking at their beliefs about um, what it means to be uh, their doctrine. What are their rational commitments and things like this? Is it true or false? Uh, it's more like we're exploring this to try to understand why they think this way, what use it has, and how it relates to their practices. Well, thanks so much for talking with us a little bit about your um, approach to teaching a philosophy of religion class. Um, I think it's a fascinating approach that, as you say, the payoff for other folks will be to look at what you're doing and see if this is a framework mm -hmm. that works for them. Thanks so much. We'll end. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for the conversation. I appreciate the, the time to, to talk with you. Brilliant. All right. Thanks for listening. For more information about the Global Critical Philosophy of Religion project, please visit our website at globalcritical, and that's all one word, dot as dot ua dot edu. There you will find our participating scholars, publications, sponsors, projects, and contact information. Study Religion is a production of the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Alabama. For more information about our department, please visit the website at religion.ua.edu. Or you can search for our department on Twitter, Instagram, Vimeo, Facebook, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify Podcasts. Thanks. Goodbye.